Today's guest is Craig Harper. Craig is one of Australia's highest regarded presenters, writers and educators with expertise in the areas of health, high performance, resilience, self-management, leadership, corporate change, communication, personal transformation and human behaviour. With a background in exercise science, Craig has worked in a variety of roles, including corporate speaking, business consultant, high performance coach, university lecturer, AFL conditioning coach, radio host, TV presenter, newspaper columnist, and business owner. He hosts a popular daily podcast called The You Project, which I've been lucky enough to be on a couple of times, and he is the author of seven books, and he's currently pursuing his PhD in neuropsychology. Aside from his massive accomplishments, Craig has been a long-term mentor, teacher, friend, and coach to me. In this episode, we delve into the topics such as personal transformation, habit change, work-life balance, and even cheesecake. With an extensive experience in coaching and education, Craig shares valuable, entertaining, and tangible insights and strategies for making positive change in your life. I just know you're going to love Craig as much as I do. Hello and welcome. My name is Steph Prem and I'm your host of Mindful Mess, a podcast where we speak with some of Australia's favourite sporting, health and business personalities about how they find balance in today's world. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are. Welcome to Mindful Mess. Mindful Mess podcast. I, I see what you did there. I like it. Oh, thank you. I like it. I am thrilled to have you here, Craig, because we have shared many interesting and in-depth conversations over the years about, you know, transforming our thoughts, our feelings, our habits, our behaviours, and all the things that I think we're quite passionate about. So I'm excited to share some of those with our listeners. But where to start, really? Maybe you could start by telling us how you came to be interested in or sort of work in the high performance and transformation space? Good question. So uh, I think most of us, you know, for me anyway, it was like through personal experience in terms of myself managing my own stuff, my mind, my body, my emotions, my habits and behaviors and outcomes in life. So I don't want to bore you because I know you know the story, but maybe your listeners don't. But I was a fat kid, morbidly obese kid, fattest kid in school, called Jumbo, before they invented political correctness. So the teachers called me Jumbo, some of them, parents, kids. Uh, so, which was, it actually was fine. My mates called me that as well. It didn't really bother me too much. But but I nonetheless, I didn't like being 14 years old and half a foot shorter than I am and 92 kilos and morbidly obese. That wasn't awesome. So I think oftentimes we change our life or part of our life or our operating system or our direction or our whatever. When we have, Malcolm Gladwell wrote a book called The Tipping Point, which I love, a great book, but I kind of refer to an internal tipping point, an emotional and or psychological tipping point. And so for me, that point was the year eight swimming sports, which was a a moment of humiliation and social chaos and and just a whole lot of shit that I didn't want in my life. And and that was kind of, I don't know, that embarrassment and humiliation and that kind of awareness that like look at what I look like and and I'm standing on these swimming uh, on this swimming block in front of literally nearly a thousand humans and I really don't want to be here and I hate how I look and feel. And so for me, that was the start of, you know, training like a maniac and getting in shape and changing my body and thinking different and, you know, losing an hysterical amount of weight and all of those things. And all that was good, getting fit and healthy and lighter and leaner and more functional. That was good. But what really was the big thing for me was starting to realize in, in both senses of the word, realize my potential and understand the psychology and the human behavior part of, you know, managing me and understanding what my potential and possibilities and power without trying trying to sound too cheesy were. And that that was the starting point. And like ever since I've been fascinated with what we can do 
and what we can be and what we can create and how we can learn and how we can overcome because, you know, I wasn't, definitely wasn't genetically gifted. I wasn't academically gifted. I wasn't brilliant at anything. I would say I was somewhere between crap and mediocre at most things. But interestingly for me, that mediocrity was a really good kind of uh, superpower because it was real leverage and it was a real driver. You talked about habits there. You talked about Mm. how you had to change a lot of your habits, a lot of your Mm. behaviours and and how that has essentially fueled how you think and how you're wired and how you educate others now. But, you know, I think we are or life is a sum of our habits really. So why is it that, you know, we don't do what we say we're going to do? Why is it that when we say something is important to us, you know, but we never seem to make time for it? You know, we never Mm. do what we say we're going to do, you know. Do we need that Mm. tipping point like you talked about? Uh, I'm going to come back to that question, but I'm just going to tell you, I chatted with Rick Charlesworth yesterday, who is arguably Australia's best ever coach. He was the coach of the the men's hockey team for, I don't know, seven years, the ladies hockey team for about the same national team. He won multiple Olympic gold medals as a player and a coach, multiple world championships. Uh, He's a medical doctor. Uh, He also played state cricket for WA for a decade. He's also a politician for a decade. So complete dud. Um, But the thing that he said to me, which I loved was he said, I've never worked with anyone who truly understood their potential. And it resonated with me because I'm the same. And I've, I feel that too with people that we don't really know how good we can be, but it's dependent on a couple of things. So why don't we do the things that we say we're going to do? Well, it's not for a reason. It's for a bunch of reasons. But if I had to single one thing out, Steph, it's because it's hard. <laughs> it's often the thing that we need to do is not often the thing in the moment that we want to do because the thing that I need to do to think and do and create and be different is uncomfortable. It's inconvenient. It's unfamiliar. It's uncertain in the moment. And they're the opposite of the things that I want in the moment. So it's almost this uh, willingness to delay gratification. You know, for example, if I'm a foodie, which I am, I, I my issue people would go issue, issues. I've got lots of issues, but probably my biggest issue in terms of just staying in shape and being healthy for me has always been food because I'm like an alcoholic. If I open the cheesecake door, as you know, you won't see me for a week and I'll come out five kilos heavier in a week, right? So for me, I've had to be really uh, careful and strategic and and, uh, conscious about my relationship with food. And I believe this is a thing that's not spoken about enough too, which is, that's an aside. But for me, it was acknowledging the things that I needed to take ownership of and realizing that I couldn't create new habits and create an operating system that really worked well for me unless I was prepared to get uncomfortable possibly for quite a while. And it's that, you know, we we live in a collective mindset and culture that we love you know, magic pills and silver bullets and quick fixes and instant gratification. That's why all that stuff sells so well. Nobody wants to hear from the dude who says, look, it could take quite a long time. It won't be sexy. It won't be fun. It won't be painless and it won't be convenient. But hey, all the best. No one wants that message because that's not what we want to hear. Nonetheless, we need that message because it's true. There's very little success that comes without pain and work and effort and sacrifice. Well, I think human nature is complex. You know, we are creatures of habit. We are wired for pleasure or gratification or instant gratification, sort of like you were saying. So, I mean, you are the most disciplined person I know where you very openly talk about the the cheesecake example, which I think is a good one. I'm aware of it, but not everyone is. So what, what, do you do when the cheesecake addiction takes over or the want, the mm. the need, the gratification? Mm. Like, How do you break a bad habit like that? That's great. That's a great question. That's a really smart question. Let, let's talk about how we can create a new 
And we allowed to swear on this show or not? Of course really? you can. It's you, right. Craig. You so have a book how with we can... fuck in the title. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, I mean, so there's a real, let me backtrack and then I'll answer the question, how do we create new habits? So there's a really interesting area of psychology, which you're aware of, called metacognition. Metacognition is thinking about thinking. Metacognition is becoming aware of our stories and our rationalizing and our self-bullshitting and self-deluding and self-loathing and all of that. And so we start to we start to become more aware of the stories that we tell ourselves and the excuses that we make that we call reasons. Right? So you can't overcome or you can't fix or improve the thing that you won't acknowledge. So the first part is acknowledging, well, I have an issue with food. And people would go, but you're educated, you're this, you're that, you're, you know, all these things that I've done and am, and that's great. But what overrides all of that is that I'm a bloke, is that I'm human. I've got my own bullshit, my own insecurity, my own issues, and they're never going away. I might turn the volume down a bit, but I'm always going to be a flawed human who's trying to do his best, part teacher, part student, full-time human, right? And so in answer to your question, the way that, you know, there's no absolute model, but my best model is when I'm working with people is identify the, the sometimes behaviors that you want to be all the time habits. So what's the thing that you do occasionally that you don't want to do occasionally because Part-time behavior produces part-time results. Who wants part-time results? Put up your hand. Fucking no one, right? So, (laughs) you know, everybody wants to create sustained positive change, whatever their version of that is. So initially the way that we start is with the unsexy things like strategy, planning, structure, process, accountability, timeline, discipline, self-control, self-awareness, a coach perhaps, some kind of sustainable roadmap that we commit to follow, some kind of structure that we can work within, some kind of blueprint that hopefully will become our new version of normal. And so you have to think like, let's say someone's listening to this and right now they're 40. Just as an example, they're 40 and they haven't had an awesome relationship with their body or food or whatever, whatever their issue is since they were say 12. So that's 28 years of programming. That's 28 years of thinking, doing, and being a certain way around that issue. Now, you're not going to fix that shit by Wednesday, right? But that's what all the quick fixes want. That's what all the quick fixes. We all want the quick fix, the 28-day solution. And so we have to, that's right. And so we have to realize that, you know, it's like people think overeating is the problem. Or, or a problem. Well, yes, but really it's the byproduct of the problem. The problem is that you make those decisions. The problem is the thinking that like we don't accidentally overeat, we make a decision. We don't accidentally have five beers, we choose five beers. We don't accidentally have nine pieces of cheesecake, we make that choice. We don't accidentally not go to the gym, we consciously choose not to go there. Now, this is not self-loathing, this is honesty. So I need to acknowledge well, what am I consciously doing with my body, with my energy, with my career, with my potential, with my time, with my resources? What am I choosing to do? And so the way that we start is with just self-control and discipline and structure and hopefully some motivation, hopefully accountability. Like, for example, if someone's listening to this and they go, I just, I struggle to just keep exercising consistently. And I said to that person, if we're in an altered reality and we could, how about this? I pick you up three mornings a week and we train together. Instantly, that person's way more likely to train at least three days a week because Craig Harper's going to pick them up. Well, they don't have any more hours in a day. They don't have any more potential. They don't have better genetics. They just have a variable that's come into play. And now they're like, well, of course they're going to go show up on those three days because Craig's picking me up or Steph's picking me up, whatever the case. There's accountability. And so we try and build a protocol or a structure or a, a paradigm that we can inhabit that is hopefully going to sustain us until that finger crossed, I do this when I'm in the zone, behavior becomes a subconscious part of our operating system because habits live in the subconscious, not the conscious part of our mind beautifully said. I think a lot of what you said is related to self or self-awareness or maybe lack thereof. 
sometimes, not in the overeating or the portion distortion or the habit, like you said, itself. But would you say there's a there's a direct link? Is self awareness is self awareness the answer to self sabotage? That's good. Well, self awareness is part of the answer because self awareness without action doesn't fix anything. It's like knowledge without action is just knowledge. It's inert. It's like intentions. Intentions are bullshit unless they're followed with actions. And some people live in the intention, the intention dimension. Some people have been almost changing shit for decades. Some people are, you know, perpetually starting on a Monday, right? And then fucking up on a Wednesday or giving up on a Wednesday, right? Mm. So, you know, it's like self-awareness, great. But it kind of works like this. There's a little flow chart which I'll give you. And this is, uh, there's a guy called Duval who's a very famous researcher in psych. And, and the, the process starts with what we call self-reflection. So this is literally a, a model of change. So self-reflection, which is me starting to think about, shit, why do I eat like that? Or what, why do I, why do I always exaggerate when I talk to Steph? Maybe I want to uh, impress her. Or why do I respond this way when my wife or husband? So we're just starting to, we're starting to reflect on what we do and how we do it so that we might have an insight. The next part of that is self-awareness where we actually become aware, oh, I'm insecure around this person because I always do this thing or I want them to like me. So I always, so I compromise myself in a bad way. I'm a people pleaser. Hey, that's no good. It's nice to be nice, but it's not nice to be a doormat. And I'm a doormat. That's self-awareness. Or I tell people I'm going to do something, then I do another. Kind of full of shit sometimes. That's self-awareness. Or I simultaneously want to get leaner and stronger while eating crap every day. That's self-awareness. Now, be clear, self-awareness is not self-loathing. Self-loathing serves no positive point. So self-reflection, self-awareness, the next part to that is self-evaluation. Self-evaluation is where I compare my ideal with my current behavior. Self-evaluation is what do I want to do? How do I want to live? What's that behavior or what's that habit that I want to be hardwired into who I am and how I am? And what am I currently doing? That gives us real clarity around what we want to change. And then the last bit is self-regulation, which is now me regulating my own behavior to live in alignment with everything that I just spoke about. So often when we have a coffee, you ask permission from me to say, we'll be having a chat, we'll be discussing something, or we'll discuss, you know, shared interests and values or clients. And you'll say to me, you know, permission to coach you for a moment, or you'll say, (laughs) you'll say, can I take you through a quick self-awareness exercise, Steph? So, you know, as your guinea pig right now, for those listening, and they're sort of taking in what you're saying, but they're not really gripping it. Can you... I'll be your guinea pig. You can take me through an exercise now, a self-awareness exercise now. Okay. So, well, let's do a very specific one. So your body is what we call, so I'm also an exercise scientist, right? So, which is why I'm talking about the body now. So your body is um, what we call or what we can call a biofeedback system. So your body's always telling you something. So a really fundamental exercise in self-awareness is what's my body saying? What's my back saying? What's my, what's my body composition telling me? What's the color of my wee telling me? Oh, it's telling me I'm dehydrated. <laughs> you know, oh, I haven't had a poo since uh, June. Maybe I need some fiber, right? <laughs> so Seems our body, yeah, our body is always telling us things. Our results are always telling us things. Our relationships, our, that still small voice, some people would call that your, your higher self, right? Your subconscious is always speaking to you. So, you know, this is, I think, the challenge. One of the challenges is in the middle of the busyness and the mayhem and the non-stopness of us to truly find stillness and quiet and space to just be and to just reflect and to and to be able to pay attention because metaphorically what happens is we look up and it's five years later. And we're like, oh, shit, I'm still having the same conversations with others and myself about the same issues that I'm actually not addressing. And you're not going to wake up one day and life's going to be magically awesome or you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be ripped and rock hard and bloody amazing 
you're not going to wake up and be a billionaire or you're not going to wake up and accidentally have found nirvana like these are these are things that uh these are ever present you know some of them you, you may or may not want but challenges and so it's it's about being open and being um being aware of of you know what we're being told like what is it 7% of communications nonverbal ish so when when you're sitting with somebody <laughs> you know when i'm coaching somebody i'm i'm paying a bit of attention to what's coming out of their mouth and a lot of attention to everything else mm. like there's always data information coming our way this is just a really interesting process because i feel like we live life i'm really generalizing here and there might be a lot of listeners who are exclusions to this but many of us live life in a version of Groundhog Day, an unthinking version of Groundhog Day, unconscious, unconscious in our operating system because we kind of do the same things the same way. We kind of have the same kind of conversations with the same people in ourselves. We kind of do the same workout at the same level in the same gym on the same equipment and the same sets and reps and volume and we eat the same food at the same times and we make the same excuses and and then we're 50. You know, for <laughs> me that is – and and. And if in the middle of all of that, you're happy and content and joyful, then change nothing. But if in the middle of that, there's frustration or there's, you feel like maybe you could use more of your talent or you feel uh, sad or anxious, or then again, no self-loathing, no beating yourself up, but just going, okay, so what part am I playing in this? When I was... um Oh, like I've done so many things, uh, I've, I've fucked up so many things as an adult. And every time that I found myself in a bad place, of course, there are external variables, but 95% of the time, most of the problem was me. Most of the problem, most of the time on planet Craig is Craig. This is being a grown-up. This is being honest. This is being self-aware. You know, I can't blame anyone if I do dumb shit. We are often our own problem. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not to say, you know, I've done some great stuff and you've done some great stuff. But, you know, look, it's one thing, and this is digressing a little bit, but it's one thing that's tough at the moment is we want to, you know, with our kids and also with our grown-up kids, we want them to be resilient and strong and tough because the world gives zero fucks, right? And life's not fair and, and bad things happen to good people and, you know, kids get cancer and like things, like the world sometimes sucks. And in the middle of that, we want people to be able to navigate life, to be the calm in the chaos, to be strong, to be resilient, to be adaptable, to be cognitively, emotionally and behaviorally flexible. But we, simultaneously, we live in a culture where we want to hand everyone a trophy for getting out of bed. <laughs> you know, oh, look, and here's my photo of a salad on Instagram. Oh, fuck, there's 9,000 likes because I ate a salad. Can I have a gold medal? It does my head in. Like we want to be rewarded for fuck all. And, and at the same time, we sometimes look for someone to save us or fix us, and that's a bad plan. It's external. That's a, if you've got a support group, great. If you've got a fan club, great. But don't be dependent on the accolades. or And think about even, and I was talking recently with somebody about this, but think about the amount of time, effort, and energy some people, um, and by the way, I've done shit like this too, so I'm, I'm not throwing everyone under the bus except me, have done seeking approval on social media, validation, acceptance, thumbs up from people that don't even care about them. Let me take 200 different photos of myself so I can find the one to post the one that I think will get the most acceptance. And, you know, that's, that's again, this is a metacognitive thing. This is think about that thinking. Like, what is that? Is that toxic thinking? Is that good for me? Why do I need approval from people who don't love me or care about me? Well, the truth is I don't, but I tell myself I do. And that's part of the problem. Why do people seek that external validation? Is that a lack of self-awareness? Well, for a range of reasons, but my guess is, I haven't researched this, but my guess is that because we feel not enough, mm-hmm. we, we all love to be accepted, wanted, loved, attractive, valued, needed, validated, right? But the problem is that 
When we don't value ourselves or love ourselves or accept ourselves, and we're always seeking that external source, then that becomes a new drug. That becomes a new dependence. So, you know, the thing is, people think, oh, he's addicted or she's addicted to Coke or dope or booze or chocolate or social media. People are addicted to the same thing. And what they're addicted to is dopamine. They're just different vehicles to get the same or a similar biochemical response. Mm -hmm. Or that whatever that thing is, that it might be attention. The feel, the feel good. Yes, yes. Because, and of course, I get it. I, I completely understand how addiction develops. Uh, I worked with addicts. I worked as a director of wellness for an addiction treatment center. So I understand alcoholism and addiction pretty well. But um, yeah, it's it's short-term term gain, but long-term pain. So essentially what you're saying is all roads lead to self, really, and coming back to that self-awareness, not seeking it externally, but seeking it internally, if you will. Would you say mindfulness is a form of self-awareness or self-awareness a form of mindfulness? Yes. Yes. I I would say I'm going to come back to mindfulness because I'm just thinking as you're talking. Do you mind if I, I, I don't think it's all about the self, but I think the self is important. Mm. This is my revelation, Steph, and you, you, I don't know how this is going to go, but so when I was young, I was very insecure. I'm still insecure, but I was wildly insecure. Uh, I didn't like myself a lot. I always wanted validation from what I would do or what I would own or what I would drive or what I would look like, what people thought. I was, I was driven by that because I didn't think a lot of me. I didn't think I was great. I always thought I was the dumbest, the fattest, the ugliest, the, all of those things, and I'm not seeking validation now. That's, that's really what I thought. It wasn't true, but, it, you know, part of it was kind of true, but, but I always sought validation. And, and I got to the point where I got in pretty good shape. I was in, I had a really good business. I made good money. I had a pretty good profile. I was working in the media. I was working on radio. I worked in television. All of these good things were going on. I was writing for the Herald Sun. I'd written a book and blah, blah. All these great things were going on. But in the middle of that, I still felt like shit. <laughs> and the reason was, or part of the reason was, because my problem wasn't external. My problem wasn't about stuff or things. Mine was, I believe, a spiritual and emotional and psychological bankruptcy, not a financial one, (laughs) not a commercial one. Mm. So I was uh, externally, you know, my life from the outside looking in was successful from the outside looking in, but my experience, my personal experience was not one of I feel great, I'm happy, I'm joyful in the middle of my success, I'm calm, I'm confident, this is, you know. and so. You know, I think people get, and this was for me a second tipping point where after the school sports much later where I went, oh, wow, how come I've got a successful life but I feel shit? And I think that for me, that the compelling force in my life has to be love and it has to be kindness and it has to be service. And I recognize that because when I'm truly loved by someone, a person, my mum, my dad, a friend, it's fucking, it, there's nothing like it. I mean, real love, connection, kindness, right? Mm. And so I know that when I am operating from love, not ego, not resentment, not jealousy, not striving to own and earn and have and get and be, but when I'm coming from that place, and by the way, easier said than done, and I'm definitely not the Dalai Lama or Jesus, but when I'm trying to be that, my life externally and internally is infinitely better, right? And so I, I think part of mindfulness and awareness and living in alignment is firstly identifying your values, your core values. Well, what are the, and your values are just the things that matter most to you. I call my values and my beliefs and my faith, I call that my internal sat nav. And sometimes when my ego is trying to take me down a certain path, my internal sat-navs just over kind of quietly waving behind a bush going, Reminds come back over here. Reminds you of your purpose. Here. Hello. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. You, yeah, sure, you're, you attention-seeking, insecure, ego-maniacal fuckwit. 
sure you can do that, <laughs> but you know where that takes you. And I've tried that. I tried, I tried it. I was good at it. I'm a show off. I'm, I'm, you know, I, I've tried bloody greed and I tried accumulating and I tried selfishness. I tried all of it. And I was quite good at all of that, but joy didn't live in any of it. And that internal dialogue can be quite aggressive sometimes, as we all know, mm. Mm. and can uh, take us in the wrong direction, as you just said. I, I mean, mm. you, you you touched on it, but you wear you wear so many hats. There's so many things mm. that you are passionate about. There's so many things that, or interests and talents that you have, and things that you are working on. So, how do mm. you genuinely implement mindfulness? You personally, mm. how does Craig Harper mm. implement mindfulness? Yeah. Not everybody would say this is lucky, but for me, I feel lucky or blessed or whatever, fortunate, because I live by myself. Uh, and if I lived by myself in the middle of nowhere and never saw people, I would hate it. But I, you know, how busy my life is. I do a lot. I'm studying full time. I'm working full time. I'm doing seven podcasts a week, as well as other people's and doing lots of stuff. And so my life is busy. Is There's it a lot of interaction. for you to find mindfulness? Well, my what I was going to say is like when I get off this podcast, uh, it's going to be, you know, about 7.30 Melbourne time at night and I'll probably go to sleep at 10.30 and I'm going to have at least two or three hours of complete silence and I don't watch anything. I don't, like every day I have at least one or two hours of, I may read a book, I may lie on the floor, I may do my version of meditation. Every now and then I'll watch a bit of something stupid on the TV, but less and less. My office is at home, my my work office, my gym is at home, my podcast studio is at home, and I live by myself. So I spend a lot of time in stillness and quiet. I don't have music or whatever blaring through the house. And it's like my, again, it, this is just a personal belief system, but my soul tells me when to be still. Mm. It's like there's, I have this, I know when to wind it back. I know when to get in some stillness and quiet. I know when to uh, say no to things. And I know when I start something and I go, nah, I'm not doing this. And it's not because I'm being lazy. It's because I'm paying attention. You know, I believe we all have, I believe all of us have a, a, a level of awareness and knowledge and genius and intelligence that we have, I don't even know where it comes from, but we can tap into it. And it's not what we've been taught or told or trained. It's a knowing that's kind of inexplicable. When I pay attention to that. You're referring to intuition? Yeah, maybe. Inner knowing? To me, I think, for me, it's more than intuition. To me, it's like, I feel like there's a knowledge, there's a, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's spiritual. I don't know if it's my subconscious, but I just know that I've had some crazy shit happen in my life where I've known something, and I'm not talking about having some big spiritual gift, but that there's no way I could have known this. I'd never heard it. I've never been taught it or told it. And and that that insight or that that knowing that saved me or that really guided me to a good place. I think and that's I just, true. I think everyone and, and as a scientist, you you really discouraged from stuff like this, right? But I've had so many experiences. I go, look, I can pick up my iPhone, which I'm doing now, and I'm showing you my iPhone. I know that I can I can ring you right now on this phone and you pick up the phone, which is ridiculous because we're on a podcast, but you're on the other side of the world and we can have a conversation in real time with no delay. I don't know how the fuck that works, but I don't need to. I just know that it works. So sometimes with that other stuff where... Repeatedly, I've had, I don't know, some kind of awareness that I can't explain, but it certainly, it came when it needed to. So I don't try to rationalize it. I don't try to get all woo-woo and weird on people. I go, look, I don't know, but but it's it works. So I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention. And I think we can all relate to having a moment like that, even it's, if it's a dream or something we think happens, but then it happens to us and we go, oh, gee, I- I was thinking about that person last week and then, you know, this person yeah. reappeared in my life. It was like stupid little, little things like that. Mm. But like you said, we have to pay attention to them. And I find when I'm 
if I'm stressed, if I'm overwhelmed, if I'm overworking, if I'm not looking after myself, then mm. I'm not as attentive or I'm not as in tune, whatever the right mm. word is, with some mm. of those things, which I think you touched on, they are so important. So, I mean, even if we love our job, we're addicted to what we do, or I mean, in your case, it's jobs, plural. I think controlling that, that like you said, work-life balance or time for mindful practices or whatever mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. is critical. Mm-hmm. It's so important. So what, you know, what tools have stood the test of time for you across all of these areas, across all of your jobs, hats, passions, talents, whatever yeah. you want to call them? I think for me, you know, that some of the boring things like discipline and self-control and accountability and process. So like I'm in my, just coming up to the end of my third year in a PhD, I started my PhD at 56. It's not fun. It's not <laughs> joyful. I don't love it. Uh, it's not easy. Uh, it's not comfortable, right? And all of those things are absolutely fine. So you know, quite often the thing that we need to do to get where we want to go or achieve what we want to achieve or change what we want to change, sometimes it's just a pain in the ass, either metaphorically or literally, and that's okay. That's okay. I mean, you've built a business and brand and you 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 worked like, I was going to say something, you worked hard. <laughs> I was going to say motherfucker. But, you, you know, you worked hard. You know, you... You you went to the Olympics. You broke your back. You like you did so much hard shit to create outcomes, and a lot of what you did was not fun, was not painless, was not sexy. But you you did you represented your country at the Olympics. You built this business and brand. You're you're building this podcast. Like a lot of the stuff that we need, we've just got to lean in. We've got to lean into the hard stuff sometimes, and not so not for the sake of just being you know, a masochist, definitely, but rather because, well, this is what success requires for the moment from me. But also when I lean into the hard stuff, guess what? I change. When I work against the resistance of life or the challenge or the fear or the the discomfort of whatever it is, when I lean into that, I change. I build resilience. I build uh, awareness. I build a capacity to do better under pressure. I become more adaptable, more flexible. I become a better performer. You know, the thing that we avoid, which is generally discomfort, is the thing that has the most value for us in terms of development. It's like you go to the gym and you don't work hard. You don't work, like literally in the gym, we call it progressive resistance training. What's the idea? You work against resistance and you get strong. Well, then you you lift a weight. It's hard. It's, you know, it's hard. And then in a while, it's not hard. Now you lift something heavier. And then when that's not hard, you lift something heavier or you do more sets or more reps or less recovery or you change the volume, you manipulate, manipulate the variables. But the bottom line is you're trying to do something hard to create a physiological response. Well, if we apply that scientific principle to psychology or to our mind and to our emotional system and to our ability to be resilient, we can put ourselves in the same kind of protocol and also facilitate adaptation and also become more competent and confident, not just with our bicep curls, but with everything. Okay. So I would go as far to say as you're very obsessed with human behavior. That is your... (laughs) (laughs) I would would say curious, but yeah, fuck it, obsessed. Obsessed with with human behaviour. All right, all right. I mean, you're currently undertaking a PhD in the mind, which is what you said. You you, you also come from the body background, which I find interesting, but now you're essentially studying the mind. You've touched on a lot of your own experiences today, but is it something Mm. that happened to yourself? Was it overweight fat kid Craig, or was it something that happened throughout your professional life or to a client that led you to the study of neuropsychology? <laughs> what got you there? Yeah. Why would you do that? Um, <laughs> it's been a really... I tried to frame it more nicely. No, no, no. It's it's a very... Um, yeah, There's it doesn't make sense. Like if, if, you want, if you want fun, don't go and do a PhD. So it, it started... I have, an, I have a very specific answer to that question. And it started when 
but it's a long-held curiosity and it's almost like my PhD is the culmination of uh, a very long, long apprenticeship of the mind and human behaviour that I've been doing on the job, right? Um, but, you know, I got to a point, so I started working in gyms as a gym instructor when I was 18, 19, 20. By the time I was 21, I was running gyms. By the time I was 23, I was five years into the fitness career and I was now doing personal training, the first personal trainer in Australia and so on and so on. And I opened the first center, employed 500 trainers, did all these things, wrote the first course, all that great shit. But by the time I was 19 or 20, I had already figured out that getting in shape was largely not about the body. Hmm. It was about the person in the body. So I realized that I could know heaps about, and I didn't know a lot then, but I knew a bit. And I, when I did my degree in exercise science later and subsequent study in anatomy and physiology and biomechanics, all that, my knowledge improved a lot. But I realized I could understand, you know, fundamental anatomy, physiology, nutrition, energy systems, uh, exercise programming, all those things. But how much I understood about the body and training the body paled into significance in terms of importance of my ability to understand why Brian's not coming to the gym anymore when he told me he would. <laughs> or, or why Sally eats cake every day while telling me she hates being overweight. Why people are constantly making decisions that are at odds, complete odds with what they say really matters to them. Dave would train like crazy for three weeks and never come back. Why people would buy memberships at huge expense often that they would not use and when you talk to them, they're always coming back next Monday, which is, of course, code for fucking never, right? So that interested me, like the psychology and the thinking and the self-talk around these actions that people should have been taking based on what they told me they wanted to do, be, create and change. You know, I, I'm conscious of your time, but I'd love you to just share some of the links and the research around neuroscience and mindfulness or, or, or mindful practices that you could share with us? So I'm going to just, here's my disclaimer. This is not my field of expertise, but like the really interesting thing for me now is where we're starting to understand the brain in a way that we never did. So we kind of thought the brain was fixed, that you've got all these different bits to the brain and they all do something and they all control different bits of us. And, and we now understand a guy called Norman Deutsch uh, wrote a book um, oh, probably 20 years ago now. And this was really the opening of the door on a thing called neuroplasticity, that the brain can adapt. And so when there's a brain injury, of course, there are limitations, but the brain can adapt and parts of the brain that, for example, are responsible for a fine motor skill. Uh, if that gets damaged, then another part of the brain can often adapt and relearn that capacity. When we talk about neuropsychology, which is my area, we're talking about kind of the relationship between the brain and the mind. The interesting thing about the mind is that it's, it's, it's very hard to, to define. It's like, it's almost, it, I reckon on my show, I've had, I don't know, 10 people more probably 50, but 10 real leaders in the field of psychology and human behavior. And I've asked them, what is the mind? And everybody stumbles and stutters, you know, and it's mm -hmm. like, well, it's, it's the place from where consciousness arises. And it's, you know, it's like our internal sat nav or it's the process, the data processing center part of the brain. It's like, yeah, but what is it? Where is it? But, you know, it, it, Obviously, without the brain, there's no mind. So, so the brain gives us the capacity to think and reason and decode the world around us and interpret data and, and create understanding and give things meaning. For me, mindfulness is interesting because I think sometimes it should be called mindlessness. Or mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness. You know, there's part of it which is recognizing things without thinking too much, but just observing without you know, mindfulness is just recognizing things. For me, it's recognizing things without judging it, without giving it a label, without giving it meaning, without trying to figure it out, without trying to problem solve around it, but just just seeing that for what that is and just acknowledging and just being. The extension of that for me, which is not 
my understanding, it's not really mindfulness, but it's it's in the same space. Is is when we can <laughs> get out of thought. We're we're almost in that. You know, for me, when I when I talk about getting into that kind of uh, altered state where I'm, it's almost I'm free of thought. It's like I say to people in my mind, this is my very childish because I'm very childish. This is my this is my story of it. It's like I I open the door on my mind and I walk in and I'm walking through my mind and there's beliefs and values and ideas and and lessons and memories and all this shit that lives in my mind. And I walk tirelessly past all of these constructs and biases and fears and, and, and dreams and goals. And eventually I get to the end of all that shit. There's another door. And then I open that door and I just step into nothingness. I step out of the mind and into that space that exists beyond the mind. And for me, that's some, that's a place I can get in meditation. Um, and, and for me, that's, I, I love that place. Uh, and and for me, that's kind of where I feel like there's something happening that I can't really explain. I think that's where the the magic happens. I had, speaking of podcast guests, I had Tora Bright on oh, yeah. recently, uh, mm. Olympic gold medalist, and she, you know mm. she referred to it as you know somewhat like the flow state, mm. a very similar yeah. space where where you know where we can do our best work, if you will. If we were to take a beat right now, a forced pause or a forced moment of mindfulness, mm. if you will, so if we're focusing our awareness on on what we're sensing and feeling in this very moment or what you're sensing and feeling in this moment, would you share with me yours? I feel calm and I feel connected and I feel happiness because you and I are friends and I care about you and I love having great conversations and. I love, you know, I feel very, really, I feel genuinely blessed because I think my job is a scam (laughs) and I think I get, you know, I get to do this, I get to talk to an audience, I get to talk to you, I get to talk on stage to corporates and work with people and I I feel like I actually haven't had a job for decades but, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'm very, I don't know why. I've always had a, an overarching feeling of gratitude my whole life, even when, like, because I, I just, I don't know, I've been around a lot of people in my life who had really, really, really hard lives, you know, with mental health or with physical injuries or with financial difficulties or, and and I just, I always say to Melissa, who runs my life, if I complain about my life, punch me in the face because I'm the problem, you know, and I just feel like very grateful, very grateful. And the times when, I don't know, that anxiety starts to creep in a bit or that, I don't know, that bad kind of, I want this, I need that, I kind of just recognize that's just my ego and that's just my bullshit because... It's. I think one of the challenges, I've kind of gone at a tangent, but I think one of the challenges is while it's great to be driven in a healthy way and have ambition and set goals and want to do better, think better, create better, it's also great to be able to be where you are now and go, by the way, right now, my life is great and I am great and I am grateful and I have an awareness that uh, I'm blessed and I'm gifted because, you know, like for me, I go, I live in an amazing country. Uh, I make okay money. I have a good career. I have friends that love me. My parents are old and they're well and healthy and alive. And I have a body that works and I'm loved. That's it. That's enough. And you? You are very loved and I am very grateful for you also and for your time. Today, this morning, this evening, your time. I always walk away from our catch-ups and our chats feeling like I can take Mm. on the world. Mm. (laughs) Very uplifted, very inspired. You can. Like you've got a lot of potential. Your brain is great. Your mind is great. Your spirit is great. You're generous. You're loving. You're compassionate. You've got a nice mix of IQ and EQ. And 
social intelligence as well, you know, and I'm not saying that to make you feel good. You, you, you are kind of evenly spread across all of it, I feel, but you also have a spiritual awareness on top of all of that that's also not super common. Oh, so go you. That's very kind. I would, I would say that's a little too kind, but we need to get better at accepting compliments and and you know a form of acceptance. We've had that conversation before too, haven't we? So yeah, I will, you're really bad at it. Just so I'll, you know, you're I'll shit at just it. Just say thank you for your time, for your energy, for your presence today. I am beyond grateful. I think you are, are always in a pursuit of a healthier, happier, uh, more fulfilling existence, and I think you are very good at sharing that and and educating others how to do the same. So grateful as always, and you know, some of your advice, you know, albeit a little confronting sometimes, is uh, always very, very good for myself, for me to hear and for, and, and for others. So well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for the opportunity. I appreciate it. And uh, shout out to everyone listening and um, lots of love to everyone. A great deal of love back. Now, before I forget, I really want to celebrate with you the launch of my show by doing an exciting giveaway. I am going to have three lucky winners, and the first winner will win an ultimate women's wellness bundle. It'll include a Vahi fragrance pack valued at $295, a Proplenish $150 gift voucher, an M-Body pack to support your health up to $120, a Stasenko body brush, and a year of the membership with Nat Kringudis, which is like the Netflix for your hormones, valued at $490. This is the ultimate pack to get your health back on track. The second prize is going to be a mindset and performance coaching session with me, Steph Prem, a one and a half hour of power, potential and performance and tools and training to get your health and happiness back on track. I can't wait to work with you. And the third prize is a Studio PP Pilates pack, which is 10 virtual Pilates classes with me and a tote bag full of complimentary goodies to enhance your workout like Bala ankle weights, foam roller, drink bottle and Pilates socks. Okay, so to enter, I've made it super easy for you. All you need to do is follow the podcast, give it a five-star rating and leave a review on Apple Podcast. And before you hit submit, take a screenshot of your review and send it to me on Instagram at Steffi Prem. So send me your screenshot as a DM. And then as a bonus entry, you can send a screenshot of one of the first three episodes. Pick the one that you love most and share it on your Instagram stories and tag me. Again, I'm at Steffi Prem. And if you don't have an Apple device, you can just send me a DM on Instagram about what you love about the show and I'll still include you in the giveaway. The giveaway ends on the 18th of October, 23, and I'll be announcing the winner on my Instagram stories on Friday, the 20th of October, 23. I'll be sure to send you a DM and let you know if you are one of the lucky winners. I'll put all of these details in the show notes below for you, and I'll catch you all in the next episode. Thanks so much for joining me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Mindful Mess. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe and share from your favourite podcast platform. Mindful Mess is proudly sponsored by Medibank. You're only human and what an incredible human you are.